to This Grit and Grace Life, a podcast for strong women and those who want to be. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, real talk for women embracing this grit and grace life. Let's get into it. Hey girl, hey, and welcome to This Grit and Grace Life podcast. I'm Julie Bender. And I'm Darlene Brock. I got this question from my son the other day, and I thought I would pose it to you. What is, or did you ever name a car? Mm. My current car is just called Noni's Jeep. Um, but Lincoln yeah. talks about your Jeep a lot too. I know. All the little <laughs> boys love it. <laughs> yeah. But I did have a car that was a Volkswagen Squareback. Now y'all are going to have to go look that up. It yeah, was, I don't know what that is. No, it's it's a vintage now. Let's mm. put it that way. And I called it R2-D2 because <laughs> it was like a tin can on wheels. That's awesome. Yeah. How about you? Um, my current car literally just got named. Um, it's very creative. It's Lexi because obviously it's Alexis, although Lincoln calls it Alexis. Like Lincoln, her name is Alexis. Let's ask and her I think a question. he I genuinely think he thinks the brand is A L E X I S. Uh-huh. So he suggested the other day that we call it Lexi, which is fine. Um, he is regularly trying to name Donnie's truck, and Donnie does not like any of the suggestions. <laughs> it's got to be some macho name, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I think really is, it's cute. Donnie does not want him to be so obsessed with things. So uh-huh. I think he's afraid if we name the truck, it's continuing to bring too much attention to the truck. However, we just got four-wheelers, and Lincoln has decided they both need a name. And you just have to know that he named his Chuck. <laughs> Why Chuck? I don't know. <laughs> and then he suggested we name ours Brutus. And I about doubled over in laughter. I mean, like, where does that even come from? Those are pretty powerful names. Right? They are four-wheelers. I think it's creative. It so works. Chuck and Brutus are yeah. our four-wheelers. Love it. And now you know all you need to know about the benders. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well... On to something else. We're going to be bringing a guest this week, right? That's right. Today, we're going to meet Jill Monaco. She's the founder and CEO of Jill Monaco Ministries. She's a speaker, podcast host, and best-selling author who developed Freedom Coaching, which is a model that blends hearing God, prayer, and coaching tools. Her first book, The Freedom Coach Model, went to number one on the Amazon bestseller list. She also serves singles by publishing the online magazine, singlematters.com, and the program From Looking to Loving, Find the Breakthrough You Need So You Can Have the Relationship You Want. Welcome, Jill. We are so excited to have you with us this week. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. All right. Before we get deep into our subject, which I know it's going to be a challenging subject, I'd like to know a little bit about you. Like, where do you live or what's your favorite way to spend a free evening? Let's start light. Okay. Sounds good. I live outside of the Chicago area, so I'm in the suburbs. And uh, favorite things to do in the evenings? I'm kind of a nerd in some ways. <laughs> um, I love um, I love to read. So I'm usually in the middle of five different books <laughs> at once, <laughs> or I'm doing something creative, you know, especially this year, I've just picked up a couple new things. I always love to learn new things. So I'm learning aromatherapy right now and candle making and <laughs> Look at you. wow. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing all the things that we've developed in this last year that we've been in new talents and gifts we never thought we had. Right. It's kind of given us space to explore new things. True. I have another silly question that Dara and I use in the opening of the show. Do you name your car? I don't. <laughs> have you ever? 
Um, yeah, I did when I was in college. I um I used to wear my hair in a ponytail on top of my head. Who's kidding? I still do. <laughs> but, um, but the bangs, you know, back in those days, it was permed hair. And, Ooh. you know, so it would stick straight up and people would call me Pebbles. And so my car's name was Pebbles. It was the license plate and everything. Oh, that is <laughs> I amazing. I love it. Perfect. I think we all need to name our cars again. I, I think mean, it's I think time. I feel like everyone at some point, you may have at least one car yes. that there's something about it that it deserves a name. For sure. That's Fun. Right. <laughs> well, Jill, when we uh, first connected, I went and checked out your Instagram and I saw that you posted this quote that really struck me. And I'm sure there's a lot to it for your personal story. You said your assignment is connected to your derailment. And I know you've experienced some really traumatic and painful things. And I just want to thank you in advance for being willing to come and share about them here, because I know that we've talked kind of off mic that you do feel a sense of peace, knowing that God wants you to share about these things, hoping to help someone else on their road to healing. And so will you tell us about your childhood abuse? Yeah, for sure. Um, It's interesting because there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And for anyone that has gone through abuse, it just makes you go, oh, that's why I am that way. And um, in one part of it, it says that we come up with our cover story. So we get very comfortable telling our story, which is what I'm happy to tell you. Um, And yet I'm very aware at the same time that it was more impactful than I make it seem because it seems so easy to talk about. Um, and for me, it wasn't always that way, but uh, as God has used it, I'm, I'm grateful. And I have found that where, right where we've been derailed, where the enemy has want to come against us is what God uses. So I pray this helps people. My story was I was raised Catholic in a Catholic church in school, and my family, um, they they loved God, and um, I was taught to pray and all those things, and I started going to youth group that they had on Sunday nights, and there was a priest there. He was a young priest. He was still in some of his training, but he wore a collar, and people called him Father Mark, and um, he would drive us all home from the activities we would do, and one night, he drove me home and gave me a hug goodbye like he always does or always did. And uh, he did more than that. And, um, you know, was aggressive in the way he touched me. And um, it was, you know, very confusing. I'd never kissed a boy. I had, you know, I just wasn't open to that yet. I had just graduated seventh grade. So I was very young. Um, and, you know, that it, it happened over the whole course of the summer. Um, so it was an ongoing situation. And then in eighth grade, he, you know, tried to continue that. And so there were some other incidences where I had to, I eventually found the bravery to tell him to leave me alone. So. Mm. Were you on your own during that time, Jill? Did you tell anyone else this was going on? I mean, you're seventh grade girl, you're, you're pretty nervous anyway about everything in life. And to share something like that would have been, I think, terribly challenging. Did you tell anyone? I didn't tell a soul. Um, And as I've gone through my healing and counseling, I've learned that's very common. I actually didn't tell anyone until after I got saved in my 30s. Wow. Um, I remember thinking I did something wrong. 
And there's part of the way that our brain, when it's developing and we're in those years that we don't take, we don't see that's them. This is me. Everything is about me. So, you know, when parents are fighting and get divorced, the child thinks it's their fault. And so mm. there's part of that brain development where I just thought I did something wrong, which meant I was going to get in trouble. And so, yeah, I didn't tell anyone. Do you recall having a sense at all that it might be wrong or do you more remember feeling like this is my fault? Oh, absolutely. And that's where it can be very confusing. It not only was wrong um, and my fault, um, and I, but I knew what was being done to me was wrong. But I didn't feel like I had any say in it. I didn't have any because it's so manipulative. The things that an abuser says to you can be very confusing and they even gain your trust and loyalty by sharing how they would be affected. And so it happens to really sweet, good people because you don't want to ruin someone else's career. I remember thinking, oh, I like am a terrible person that I made this man who made a vow to God. I made him stumble. Mm. Like I wasn't sexy at 12 years old. And, um, and, you know, today's day and age, you know, kids are dressing different than they did when, you know, I was in the early eighties, I think <laughs> trying to go back to the numbers. Um, so yeah, there was a sense that, um, it was, it was my fault, but it wasn't my fault. I knew I didn't want it, um, but I couldn't stop it. Just so someone like myself who have never dealt with anything like that, what and that I can be sensitive to and watch, no matter whether it's a priest or a school teacher or whomever is in this position that's abusing this young person, what do I look for in this child? And what do I expect to hear from the abuser in this situation? Can you give me a little bit so I can understand from my distant view how to, to spot this or how to help in this? That's such a good question. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not a trained therapist, but I can give you things I've learned from mine and also things that I've explored even with my family. For instance, my mom said to me, she felt such guilt and, and carried it that she didn't know. And she said, I remember the day he came to our house and he had you sit on his lap. And she goes, and I felt really uncomfortable about that. But I thought, no, he's the youth pastor and he's just loving. And so I think parents need to pay attention to their gut, that if something feels off, it probably is. And there's some science behind that, too, that our heart actually communicates up to 15 feet around what is actually going on. And we're very perceptive. God made us that way, not just to have logic, but the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit in our emotions and um, to know something's just off about this. Um, other signs can be um, for, for parents to be able to see if something's going on, the child's behavior. Um, oftentimes, children get um, easily triggered. They get upset, like from zero to a hundred things that are outside of their normal personality, their grades start to fall or in other cases, they start acting out as a teenager, you'll see drugs or alcohol or, you know, breaking curfew, being rebellious, um, those sorts of things. I, I didn't do those things, but everyone manifests their pain in a different way. So for me, I, um, I might've been hard to detect 
because I was an introvert anyway. Um, and I didn't really share what I was feeling, but my grades did start to decline. Um, and I became isolated more. I didn't really want to be doing the normal things. I wasn't as happy and joyful as I was before. So some of the signs can be clear and some can be subtle. You mentioned earlier that you didn't talk to anybody about it until you were in your 30s. So what happened then that made you ready to talk about it? Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, um, I was on staff at a church. I was a worship leader and I had just been saved. I was actually not saved when I got the job, which is a whole other story, <laughs> um, <like> <laughs> but only God knew where he was taking me. Um, so I was, you know, to say new in the Lord is an understatement. Um, I grew very fast in that first year of my walk with God and the senior pastor, um, we were having some trouble with some worship team members and there was a lot now looking back, the church was, had some toxicity issues. And a lot of that stemmed from the senior pastor. And, um, but I was so new, I didn't know. And uh, so we were, I was going in on a Saturday to pick up some stuff for to lead worship the next day. And he said, Hey, come in my office. I want to talk to you about this. We had a big meeting after church with some of the, you know, around some of the issues we were having with the worship team. And I said, Sure. And I went into his office and sat down and he began to tell me, Hey, I feel a chemistry between us. And, you know, I, and he made lots of inappropriate comments referencing us starting an affair to which I said no and started crying. And the progression of that, um, the, the skipping over a lot of details, I told he admitted it to the elders. And um, at that time, I took, I, I resigned because they were going to keep him preaching. And I couldn't continue leading worship when I knew he was looking at me on the platform in a certain way which was his words. Um, and so it was after that, uh, that I was obviously really triggered. Now at the time I didn't know what a trigger was, but it's often when something similar happens that has happened to you in the past. Now, in my case, it wasn't similar. It was kind of like the exact same thing in other people. It could just be something like someone looks at you or touches you or hugs you, and it might be someone you love, but when you get triggered, um, like you have a overreaction to the situation. Now this situation was serious and it deserved every overreaction, but I reacted. The reason I tell you those stories, is I reacted the same way I did as a child. And what I did was I didn't tell anyone. And I mean, I told the elders, but I wouldn't tell anyone that loved me, my parents, my siblings, they just knew I left my job and they were like, what happened? And I didn't want to tell anyone. And so, um, through them being so loving, that was when I finally told them what happened. And then I told them about the priest because in my brain, they were tied together. Mm -hmm. It was the same thing. It was happening again. And it was just too overwhelming for me. So that was when I told, um, and there was shame connected to it because I still felt like there was something wrong with me. Um, that why would another man of God be attracted to me? Like, this is a problem. I, I've done something, you know, it's like the unknown. You don't know what you did and you evaluate how you dressed and all of these things. But in the end, sometimes it happens again because people are people. And um, I know you didn't ask me this question, but for those wondering, um, and God in his goodness allows us to have something come to the surface so that it can be healed because whatever's in secret is still dangerous. And so, and the enemy can manipulate it. So I'm actually grateful 
for the second time because it allowed me to start my healing process. Mm. I mean, that seems absolutely horrible, but makes perfect sense at the same time, Jill, that it would actually bring everything forward that needed to come forward. And Mm -hmm. if, you know, I'm thinking, I'm stepping back and again thinking, if I'm the parent or a friend and I think something's going on, but you were still, you were hesitant to open Mm -hmm. up, are there things that we can do in supporting someone that you suspect has been abused? Are there things we can say or ask? Or, you know, I, I think there's got to be a fine line between mm-hmm. pushing too hard and not trying at all. Yeah, yeah. It's such a hard thing. I think it depends on your proximity and closeness to the person emotionally, Um you know, what's the trust look like, right? Like you might notice something going on with someone else, but you're not really close to them. So you might ask someone else who is close to them, are you noticing the same things out of concern? Um, But if it is someone close to you with that perspective, um, the best thing you can do is give them space, not like avoid them, give them space to share, invite them into a conversation Now, for people who feel shame or fear around it, because let's be honest, sometimes these high-profile people are scary to approach. There have been so many things that have happened even in the last few years where people don't believe the victim because the other person is the speaker and author and famous and, you know, in the Christian market. And so it's very hard for a victim to come forward. So to have you be very loving and say, I'm going to believe you what you say. Whatever you say, I'm going to believe you and I'm going to be there to walk through it with you and I'm not going to reject you. And, you know, or you can, and maybe that's the second conversation, but the intro conversation is I feel like, you know, something's off. Is there anything that you feel like you want to talk about Um, and make space for them in that way to talk about it and then be supportive of them and alleviate their fears, finding out what they're afraid of. And making sure that that's not going to manifest, at least around you, is really, really important. I think on the flip side of that question, is there anything that you would recommend we wouldn't say to someone we maybe have concerns, maybe being abused, or maybe we've come to find out that they've experienced something like this and we want to be there for them, but we know that sometimes we just say the wrong thing because we don't know any better. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that I've struggled with is that I, when I tell people and they feel really bad, then I have to, I feel, I don't have to, but I feel Mm -hmm. like I need to help them get through it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that is an extra burden. Then don't put your guilt, shame. Oh, I wish I would have known. Oh, what can I do more? Like, don't make it about you. Mm -hmm. I think that could be really helpful. Yeah, that's really, really huge. And and I I could imagine myself even wanting to react that way, making sure my friend or whoever this person is knows that I wish I could have been there for them. But even just looking at it from your perspective of, well, now I feel like I have to help you with your feelings over something that actually happened to me. So I think that's a really right. good um, marker to keep in mind. Well, and I'm such a reactionary, I would probably go and I'm going to pound that man down, which probably right. is not a good way to approach it either, where you probably don't need somebody to defend you. You just need somebody to support you. 
Yeah. And that support, what you said is so important because then I'm trying to manage your anger and make sure you don't make this already volatile situation worse for me. And so the best thing you can do even, um, like for me, when I finally reported it to the authorities, like after that happened with the pastor, I told my friends and family, but I never reported him to the authorities until I saw it on TV that the Illinois attorney general was looking into um, priest abuse. And then I called them. So I knew that they were going to be safe and that they would help me. And so if you can be that kind of support system and if you find out someone's been abused the best thing that i would i see my situation was different i didn't want anyone to go to the police station with me my mom offered people offered and i said i want to do this alone for me i needed to finally do it and and own that strength um but i had people praying for me so that was supportive but you know you want to help someone um actually take those hard steps It's like when someone's depressed, you can't say, what do you need? Because they can't think of anything that they need. So you coming up with solutions, would this help? Would this be helpful? Can I support you in this way? Give them some options um, and really come alongside of them as you walk out those, whatever option they've chosen. We're speaking here of men of faith. Mm-hmm. which you think they should be above this, they should be different than this. And we all know wonderful, fine men who are yeah. godly, incredible men who seek integrity and seek right relationships and live in honor, but we can't be blind to the fact that they are human too. And right. being human too, that when someone says this happened, we don't need to do what you said earlier and say, oh, how could they? They, they couldn't do that. That's not true. We need to be willing to acknowledge that it touches every part of life, even this one. I think um, one of the things that I've said about as we hear about these men of prominence that people have loved and looked up to, we have to remember that God loves them as much as us. He doesn't pick favorites. And he knows why people act the way they do. He knows what happened in their life that caused them to be an abuser. And so in one respect, I can have compassion and pray that they meet with the love of God so that they don't continue their behavior, but also so that they're, you know, in good relationship and standing with God. That's the most important thing that these are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they need that relationship. When we have a broken relationship with God, the fruit is very clear, abuse being one of them. Um, But on the other hand, we have to set appropriate boundaries, right? And not give way for that to happen. We might have to confront in a loving way. But if our confrontation is to, and, and it's natural when you're angry and you've been hurt to point fingers and be angry at that person and want them to feel sorry, it's a whole other subject on forgiveness, but we can actually bless them and also trust God with their process um, and not see any fruit of repentance, and we can still be okay. That is actually possible with coaching and counseling and working through it. I'm literally over here just listening to you, and 
I don't want to say shock because that's probably not the right word, but just amazement and awe over your ability to even talk about this with what we would call both grit and grace. And so I just want to commend you as a sister in Christ for that um, and just really see, I can see God's activity in your life. And I'm sure that these things are not easy for you to talk about, but um, I, I do want to just acknowledge that you're handling it in a really beautiful, um, God-glorifying way. So thank you for even just being able to talk about it. I saw on your blog, you talk about spiritual abuse. Is there mm-hmm. is there a term there that you could define for us? Because um, I'm thinking there might be somebody who's listening and realizing that maybe on some level they've experienced this and may need to start mm-hmm. their own healing journey. Yeah, for sure. Spiritual abuse um, is something that more people have gone through than they realize, and they just haven't had words for it. So my language for spiritual abuse is when someone is acting spiritual, using spiritual things like the Bible or their position of authority uh, to benefit themselves by using manipulation and control. So that's my simple definition of it. Um, They try and manipulate you to get you to do what they want. They try and control you your thoughts, your actions, how you serve at church. Um, They might influence you on how, you know, who you date, um, what job you take. Is it godly? There's so many ways that um, they can use their authority or even the Bible to get you to do what they want. And sometimes it's very subtle because as Christians, we hear things like, just trust God and we need to honor leadership and we don't want to be critical what happens if we just keep it all inside then and we're not exploring and saying, is that wrong? Like that doesn't feel right. Then are we gossipers? So I think that spiritual abuse has really taken a life of its own because there's, you know, aside from physical abuse, there's psychological abuse, there's emotional abuse, any way that someone is trying to get you to do what they want um, and not giving you free will like God gives us. Um, can be abusive and be just as damaging as physical abuse. You know, I know this can't be really a factor when you're in seventh or eighth grade, but I think as adults, to avoid that, it it is extremely scriptural for us to learn for ourselves, to grow in a relationship with Christ and to spend time in prayer and in the Bible. So we know in our hearts what's true and what is it and we aren't yeah. we don't succumb to some people who do use faith as a manipulator there are some who do there are many 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 who don't but there are those who do so if we yeah. become strong in our own relationship with god I think that protects us a lot, again, more as adults than definitely a seventh grader. But I think it is on us to do our best to understand what God expects, not what any man or woman expect from us. Oh, I love that. You know, really, like the whole point of my coaching and my ministry is to encourage people to encounter the presence of God and then find freedom in Christ. Because you being free to be who God created you to be is a journey only you and God can take together and explore and learn what he loves about you and how he made you. And you're going to mess up a million times on that journey. And so as we do that, as we grow in our relationship with God, then we can give away what we have 
but we can't give away what we don't personally have. And we can't make someone else catch something that we have because they're on a different journey. And so really allowing people to be free to grow in the Lord, that is, that's the powerful, you know, sauce right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. What would you say would be a first step for someone who has experienced this and maybe hasn't talked about it yet, or is wondering if something, you know, a relationship they have, um, with a leader, not even necessarily a, you know, religious leader or someone in some Mm -hmm. authority over them might be treating them inappropriately. What, what would a first step be? The first step I always say is if what you don't understand, you're going to mistreat. So the first thing you need to do is understand what's happening to you. And that might require getting a counselor or getting some, you know, other counsel from someone who doesn't know that person, right? So there's no other kind of coloring going on of that Um, and sharing and being vulnerable and being validated for what you're going through. Validation really helps because people who are going through this kind of thing, you already have, you know, questions, you already doubt yourself, you already might have low self-worth or feel guilty or for things that you didn't do or, um, and so getting that validation is important and then learning the signs and then the next step. So once you've really diagnosed it and you kind of, kind of see it, then the next step is where you're challenged. What do your boundaries look like? Are you going to stay in that relationship, that small group, that church, whatever, that job, or are you going to leave? Now, if you're going to leave, the, the it seems like, oh, good, I can just get rid of all this. But generally, our patterns follow us mm. because we haven't learned how to avoid that again. So we're the same person, maybe with bad boundaries, or we don't see warning signs of abuse coming at us. And so we end up choosing people this, that are the same because it's comfortable subconsciously. So I don't always say you need to leave, but what I do say is whether you leave or you stay, you have to heal. So that is going after your healing is key. Now, if you stay, you have to know there's going to be a confrontation that needs to happen, a conversation. But if your goal in confrontation, this is so important, and I have to remind myself all the time, if your goal in confrontation is to maintain connection, then you're going to do a lot better. If your goal at the end of it is to be heard and to hear and to resolve it, going to be better. Now, if someone really didn't know they were being abusive, um, then that is going to work and you're going to work through it together. Now, if they're a narcissist and you know, a sociopath or something, um, they're, they're not, they're going to gaslight you and think you're going to walk away feeling crazy and like, you know, they'll twist your words on you and those aren't healthy relationships. So anyone going through this, I would say study narcissism and gaslighting and understand that too. So, you know, if that's the situation you're in and then the best thing to do is leave. Um, one of the other things that if I could say one more thing that I think is really key and that I do with my clients in coaching is learn what lies you've believed. This is part of the work. Learn what lies have you believed about God, about yourself, or about others. And as you figure out those lies, just ask God, what is the truth? And start implementing the truth of his word and what he says in those situations so that you can then take a different path. You can come up with a plan. You can continue the work and you can continue to grow in God and get healthy. So many of the terms and the concepts and kind of those keywords that I'm hearing um, really remind me 
or at least they they feel related to the conversation Darlene and I had on our episode with Sarah May. So if you haven't yet listened to that, friends, you're going to want to go back to that episode. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, but I guess I just want to say to the woman who's maybe listening in tears because she's recognizing that she has a healing journey to begin. Um, I just want to say that it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. There is hope for your healing and it's time to get help one step at a time. Um, so thank you, Jill, for even being a picture of there being, you know, hope and healing and wellness and life and life abundantly. Um, do you have any recommendations of resources that you would send somebody uh, a book to read, a specific, um, maybe even online counseling or coaching with you that you would want to send our friends to if they're realizing that they need some help? Yeah. Um, I mentioned The Body Keeps the Score in the beginning. It's a secular book, um, all scientific, that really starts at the beginning of when they diagnose PTSD. Um, it's been really an eye-opener. Um, the other thing is there's a book called Healing from Hidden Abuse, um, and it's five stages of healing, and it's by Shannon Thomas. She's a counselor in Texas. I recommend that book. Um, and then I've got a couple courses that are on my website about overcoming fear and rejection and self-doubt and jealousy. Some of those places where we get stuck, that might be helpful. Um, and I am always, yeah, I'm always welcome to, I welcome people to coach with me if they want to reach out. And I work through a lot of these things with people one-on-one -on -one in a safe place. Um, and very soon I will have a course on freedom that will walk through a lot of these different things. It should be released in 2021. So you can do self-guided and, and hopefully we're going to create a way for you to connect with small groups and, and walk through some of this stuff in community. So exactly where they, can they find you, Jill, if they're going online and searching? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they can find me at jillmonaco.com. And from there, you can find all the other things that I talked about. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. Um, Jill, thank you again so much for being willing to be brave and to talk about this with us. And um, I just, I, I pray that your story would encourage um, more women than you could even imagine. So thank you for your authenticity and your transparency with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I think this quote by Linda Hogan is a perfect one to end this episode. Some people see scars and it is wounding they remember. To me, they're proof of the fact that there is healing. Hey mama, be sure to subscribe if you haven't already and be ready to tune in next week. We're going to be sharing five ways you can build a healthy and thriving relationship with your kiddos. Thanks for listening to another episode of this Grit and Grace Life podcast brought to you by the Grit and Grace Project. Whether you're listening in Apple, Spotify, or streaming somewhere else, be sure to subscribe and review so you never miss an upcoming episode. You can also share this episode with a friend you think might enjoy living a Grit and Grace life with us or share us in your social media and tag us. Every week we share all the details of what we discussed at our website, gritandgracelife.com. We'll catch you on the next one.